The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So if you have a Bible, let's open it to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. The title of the message is Love. What is love? Love serves others. That's what we saw there. That's what God wants for His church worldwide. That's a very special message. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, and we pray that we might hear what the Spirit would say to His church in this day, in this hour, for such a time as this. And I pray that, Lord, open eyes, open ears. Let us hear your hearts cry. And I pray that you would awaken and quicken the spirit of everyone that is here to hear this message because it's from the throne of God. It is literally like a coal from the altar of the throne of God. It is fiery, it is passionate, it's intense, it's life-changing, and it brings the glory of heaven right down here to the earth if we will receive it. So may we receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. Okay, so just a couple of quick life lessons we'll get from this simple little story, The Key to Greatness. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of books and seminars, how to become great, whatever. The key to greatness is not found in position, nor is it found in power, but in the kingdom of heaven, true greatness is found in character. So we read in uh, Matthew chapter 20, beginning of verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that would be the mother of James and John, came to him, Jesus, with her two sons, kneeling down to Jesus, as was the custom then, and asking something from him. And Jesus said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Now, what's interesting, you know, so here's a good Jewish mom, right? She's setting up her boys uh, for opportunity. They're they're part of the chosen group following Jesus who's doing miracles like no one. He's got a kingdom that's coming. And and, uh, so she goes, hey, could I I just want to ask a favor. Could, you know, James sit on one side and John on the other? And that's how this all begins. What's ironic is uh, just prior to this, Jesus has just announced, I'm going to Jerusalem. And when I get to, the, to Jerusalem for this Passover, here's what will happen to me. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. And on the third day, I'll rise from the dead. So interestingly, Jesus has declared both in his words and by his actions, I am the son of David, the promised Messiah. I am the king. But he is saying that on the way to bring in the fullness and the power and the glory of his kingdom, that before he ascends to that, there is a cross. Now, what's interesting is he's now sharing with these, you know, disciples, and and literally, uh, before we judge them too quickly, Jesus had just told them, when I get to my kingdom, and when, when my kingdom is fully realized, in the regeneration, you too shall be with me, and you, disciples, will sit on thrones to rule and reign with me. So they're like, wow, we're going to be sitting on thrones. And so then the mom gets the idea, well, hey, let's get position then. Maybe right hand, left hand, uh, you know, you could sit there. 
But what's interesting is they, they even wanted reserved seats on special thrones. Now, before we get into deciphering what this really means, I want to say a word to all of you. And I hope you receive this and hear this. If you are a true believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you on the authority of Jesus' own words and message, what he said to the ancient disciples is true for you, modern disciples, today. In other words, one day you are going to sit on a throne with the resurrected Lord Jesus and co-rule and reign with him in his kingdom. You are even promised a crown. In fact, there are several crowns. I think, in fact, there are seven crowns mentioned. Do you realize you are destined? We don't really know. We spend most of our earthly lives not knowing who we are. Okay, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. I try to live a good life. I die, I go to heaven. But the reality is, no, 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 no. You are way far beyond that. You have royal blood. You are part of a royal family. The reason that we're part of a kingdom is that you're going to be ruling and reigning in that kingdom. You have a crown in your future. You have a throne that you will be sitting on. But here's what's important to the Lord. Knowing this incredible divine destiny that is apportioned to each and every one of us for our future, what is very, very important to our Father in heaven is not just that you're going to have a crown, which he graciously is excited to share with us, his kingdom, or that you will sit on a throne to rule and to reign with Christ. But what's ultimately the most important thing to the Father is the kind of character you have when you sit on that throne of yours and when you wear that crown. It's the character that magnifies everything else. In other words, we are to be worthy of the crown we will wear and the place that we will sit upon the throne with the Lord Jesus. And therefore, even for his son Jesus, there was the cross before the crown. He was manifesting his character. You and I, through our sufferings, are being refined. We are being purified. We are being changed. We are being transformed. We are to become more and more Christ-like. He is forging in the fires of a fallen, broken world our character, burning away the wood, the hay, and the stubble so that only the purity of the gold and silver, the precious things of the Spirit that shall remain. So in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, this explains what our brief earthly introduction to eternity is really all about. So let's read this out loud. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. We glory in. In other words, we are thankful that we go through trials and tribulations. We don't like them, but we appreciate them because it is in the trials and the tribulations that literally produces perseverance. Perseverance is this. I don't like my circumstances. I don't think what's happening to me is right. And in fact, Father, before your throne, I declare, it's not fair what I'm going through and what I'm suffering and the way I'm being treated here upon this earth. But be that as it may, I choose as your child and as your son to believe in you, that you will be vindicated. I will trust you no matter what happens to me, no matter what I go through, I'm never going to let go of you. I'm never going to stop honoring you. I'm never going to stop walking in your presence and in your power. 
And so you cleanse me, you purge me, you wash me, you cleanse me, but I am, and all of a sudden, it's not like just that you do stuff that's religious, but there's something inside of you that is forged like steel in fire character. There's nothing more exciting than instead of doing something because it's religious or Christian, that now I choose to live this way, to feel this way, to operate this way, because it is now part of the fiber and fabric of who I am. I am now, this is part of my character. I trust in the Lord. I love the Lord. I will not be robbed. I will not let go of my faith. I will walk with him, come what may. I'm walking with Jesus. Amen? And when that kind of, it's kind of a, a beautiful revelation, all of a sudden, wow, I, I, I actually have a little bit of character. Wow. You know what? Finding that you are beginning to reflect Christ in an unfair, bad situation, but you're hanging on and you're remaining true. Character gives hope. It gives us hope that he who began a good work in me will continue to form and fashion it until the day that we are completely transformed into the image of Christ. So let's go on to the next little life lesson. Character is found in serving the needs of others. May I say that character is not found when all we really want to serve is ourselves. So in verse 22, Jesus goes on to say, but Jesus answered and said to her, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized? with the baptism that I am baptized with. And then they said to him, we are able. I don't think they realized what they were saying. They were willing. Uh, but so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. Are you guys really ready to drink the cup I'm going to drink of? What does that mean? Uh, th that's a Hebrew idiom. To drink a cup means to taste some or to experience something someone else has gone through. Jesus is saying, the cup that I'm about to drink is the cross. It is suffering. It is the cross on the way to the crown. Are you really ready to drink that cup? Are you really ready to be baptized with all that I am going to go through? Oh, yes, Lord, we are willing. Well, we know it was quite a journey for those disciples. It was really not until after the resurrection it began to dawn upon them what it was really all about. But I want to say this to you as well. You might say, yes, Lord, I'm willing, whatever. But know this, suffering uh, and sacrifice, learning not to be selfish, is part of the character growth that God has designed. That's the reason. I mean, we're only here a few decades. You are eternal. Your spirit is going to last for eternity. This is a brief moment in time. The purpose is not to amass how much happiness I can, you know, surround and just serve myself. In fact, if I may say, that philosophy where it's my life, it's my body, it's my mind, it's my time, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Do you know who said that originally was Satan? Satan actually said, and the prophet Isaiah talks about it, and, and, and he, Satan said, I will ascend into heaven. I will sit on the throne of God. I will be like the Most High. He, he uses the words, I will, five times. And basically what he was saying is, 
I'm gonna, re I'm gonna replace God with me. I will be my own God. I'll make up my own rules. I'll make up my own beliefs. I'll have my own values. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want. That's a very frightening thing when you realize that many of the things and attitudes and values that are in the world presently are merely an echo of that ancient satanic desire. It's mine. It's all mine. Jesus is saying, look, you have been made and created. You're, you're not God. The very fact that you're created proves that you're not God. You were created by God. But here's the beautiful thing. God wants to be your father. He wants to have a relationship. He wants you to be born again spiritually, and he, and he wants you not to be on your own. It's not all about you. In a family, it's about honoring others. And what I love about the family of God is the father, all the father wants to talk about is the son. Oh, have you heard my son? Have you listened to my son? Have you seen my son? Oh, how I love my son. And then you come to Jesus, wow, so Jesus, what about you? And he goes, oh, have you heard my father? Have you met my father? Have you seen my father? All I want to do is talk to my father and follow my father. It's a mutual admiration society. That's love, not just me, myself, and I. And everybody's their own God, and every man does what's right in their own eyes. So this is a very powerful thing that we need to learn. And so character is found in serving the needs of others. Um, it's very beautiful. It's very precious and very powerful. Now, let's close up with the final life lesson here. God blesses us. Yes, God wants to bless you, but so that we can be a blessing to others. Verse 24, Jesus says, and when the 10 heard about it, so you got two disciples who have, you know, got their mom to ask for right hand, left hand. You can imagine how that went over like a lead balloon to the other 10 that are listening. And when the 10 heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said. <laughs> so here's a crisis, an argument. Now all of a sudden the family is, they're mad at each other. Well, you guys did what? Why were they so angry at them? Some suggested, some commentators, they were mad at the two brothers because they didn't think of it first. We should have asked for a right hand, left hand. But anyway, then Jesus called them to himself. Note to parents, when there's a crisis and a blow up with the family and the kids, then it becomes a teachable moment. Okay, everybody gather together. We're getting together. There's a bigger issue to talk about than that. We'll deal with that in a few moments. Right now, we're going to deal with the bigger issue, and that's what Jesus is doing. This became a teachable moment. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. So basically, he's saying in the pagan world, everybody wants to be the boss so they can boss everybody else around. And then Jesus says, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, and he doesn't say it's wrong to want to be great in the kingdom, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, he doesn't say it's wrong or disparage the desire to be first. He goes, then let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, I am the King. I am the Messiah. I am the promised one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I and my Father are one. And then on the very night before 
He went to the cross and he celebrates Passover and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is the cup of my blood which will be shed for you. This is the new covenant you have with me. And at the very end of the meal, Jesus does something that this is one of those places where literally the angels from heaven are all, you know, arched over, leaning, looking, and, and in awe. I don't know if you know that the Bible tells us that the angels are fascinated. I think they're all up there eating popcorn, watching what's happening, you know. <laughs> Reality TV, planet Earth. But that night when they saw Jesus, the King of kings, get on his knees and wash the disciples' feet, that's the job of slaves. That is the job of servants. And after Jesus washed their dirty feet, he said, now, as I have done, so you go and do likewise. You are to be the servant of all. You want to be the greatest in the kingdom? Be the slave of all. Be the servant of all. Minister to others. Bless others. So I want you to know, uh, and what I want you to realize is that God wants to bless you. He wants to bless you so much um, that, and, and he, he begins with you. He wants to bless you, and then he wants to fill you up. But you're only this big. In, in the vast universe, you're only this big. And you're a thimble in eternity. And, and to fill you up, it doesn't take a whole lot for God to just, and then, but here's the deal. You're a little thimble, and you get filled, and you're full, and you're like, wow, it started at my feet, and went all the way up my legs, and my back, and up to my head, and whoo, I'm full, full of your glory, full of your spirit. Lord, I'm full. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. But then at that point that you're absolutely, completely to the brim full, guess what God says? He says, I'm not done. I'm only just getting started. I'm going to keep pouring. And that river of living water keeps pouring. And what happens is you no longer have the capacity to hold it all in. It literally begins to overflow all around you to the left and to the right and to the front and to the back. And you're like, Lord, you, you've given me, I, I can't absorb this. I can't even see, I, I have more than I know what to do. And he says, good, then let it give, be given away. Let it, be, let it splash around. Let it splash over on your family. Let it splash over on your neighborhood and your community and the place where you go to work. And, and, he, and he just never keeps pouring, pouring, pouring more water, more rivers of living water, more of the Spirit, more blessing, more gifts, more and more and more and more. And out of your life comes the overflow to bless others. Can I hear an amen and a hallelujah? That's how it works. So... I'm going to do, I, I love this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. It all started with a man named Abraham. And let's read this out loud. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. What I want to suggest to you here this morning is that what God said to Abraham is also true of you. God's desire to bless you personally, uniquely, individually, as a child of God, is so beyond anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. Literally, if you will open yourself to allow yourself to be blessed, to be filled to capacity, and then beyond to be overflowed, your life, by your walk and obedience to God, can literally touch nations. What God said to Abraham is true for you and me. In verse 3, he goes on to say this. Let's read it. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's true for you and me. I, I, look, I want to be God's friend. He goes, anybody that they like you, they bless you, they take care of you, I will bless them. Anybody tries to hurt you, harm you, curse you, 
I will curse them. How many want to be God's friend? Woo! You know, you know he, people try to curse you, and you don't have to be afraid. You're just like, oh, dude, you're going to be a piece of toast. What are you doing? Now, you might be saying this morning, come on, are you serious? You're going to take a 4,000-year-old promise given to Abraham and claim for yourself all these years later? The answer is, yep. Okay, here's the proof. Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Let's read it out loud. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. So it's true. It's yours and it's mine. God wants to bless you, but overflow you. And as you allow that to be a blessing and to serve others, he will change nations. I'm going to read uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. We're going to go through these verses because this explains what it means to be a child of God, to bless others. So let's read it out loud. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's the idea. God wants to bless us so much, so deeply, so overwhelmingly that, it, that we begin to bless others and we begin to serve others. Everything is met in our own needs. I, I've got one more story that I want to tell you before the final scripture I share with you from uh, Lebanon. So while I was there, uh, this, you know, Pastor Hickmock comes up and goes, Pastor Ray, Pastor Ray, you got to meet this guy. You got to meet this guy. He was an ISIS guy. You guys know ISIS? ISIS was that, the most radical group that's, you know, they're going to kill everybody and take over everything. This is the, and so this guy's standing there looking at me. I'm like, oh, wow, hi. <laughs> so what's his story? So he's an ISIS guy and the, radical, r radical upbringing, radical life. And then he becomes a refugee, the war, civil war. Now he's a Syrian. Now he's in Lebanon and, and his, you know, they don't have anything. And this church says they got food. They're like, yeah, but we're Muslims. And why, you know, so his wife goes. She goes, well, I'm going. We're starving. I'm going. If they're giving food, I'm going. She goes to the church. I'm desperate. I'm hungry. I need food for my family. So they go, praise God, here's a box. This will, will provide for you and your family. And she goes, and by the way, I heard you guys pray for people. And they go, yes, what's the matter? She has tumors. And because she is a Syrian refugee, they don't pay for a hospital. She has no money. Uh, you're going to die. And so could you pray for me? We would love to. The church laid hands on her, prayed for her. Her tumors disappeared. Gone. She comes home. Tells her husband, I went to that church. They gave us food. They laid hands on me. I don't have any tumors. I'm not going to die. You have a mother for your children. You have a wife. And he's like, wow, I don't know what to do with that. So he's thinking about that. Then his fire, it's like a spiritual battle breaks out in his home. A fire ignites. His home burns. Whatever home that he had, it's on fire. And tragically, his 12-year-old daughter, who the mom had been sharing with about Jesus, is trapped literally in the midst of the most burning heat. She walks out of the fire where the dad can't go in because of the flames. And she comes out and he looks at her 
There's not one singe mark on her. There's not the smell of smoke upon her. She has really big eyes. And he's like, what happened to you? She goes, Dad, I was in the fire. And all of a sudden, Jesus was standing next to me. He grabbed my hand. I walked out, and here I am. So... So the ISIS guy goes, my wife got healed of tumors. They fed us with food. They loved my family. My daughter saw Jesus. She walked out of a fire. I'm with Jesus. That's the power of God. You don't need debates. You don't need sermons. It's like done. When God shows up, it's over. When the kingdom of God shows up. And the kingdom of God showed up because there were Christians who were in a difficult situation, who allowed their hands and their prayers and their love to be used to those who had virtually nothing, who were formerly their enemies whom they hated, but now they had to forgive and they had to love, and all of a sudden heaven showed up. I believe that's what God wants to do all around the world. In Isaiah chapter 58, it says this. I'm going to close reading this. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with those who are hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. The Lord was saying, I don't want to fast where you're all religious and you're beating yourselves and you're hungry and you're skinny and that doesn't move me. But when you see those who are hungry and you feed them and they're naked and you clothe them and they're sick and you pray for them and you visit them and you love them, then that's what I like. And I want to just say this. So here's what God said. If you will do my kind of fast, here's what I promise you. And there's basically, God gave 12 promises. Um, so here, here it begins. And I'll enumerate. Number one, then your light. If you do this, if you love people, serve others, let my kingdom come to men, then your light shall break forth like the morning. That's the first promise. Your healing, your healing shall spring forth speedily. Second promise. And your righteousness shall go before you. Third promise. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Fourth promise. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. That's the fifth promise. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry, satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Promise number six. The Lord will guide you continually. Number seven. And satisfy your soul in drought. And strengthen your bones. Number nine, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, promise 11. And finally, you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Twelve promises God says I will do if you will be my servants and serve others as I love them. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. 
Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.